0: Hey everyone, welcome to Zoomies, your dog podcast. I'm Adriana Milne, your local dog trainer from Pet Pals Dog Training. And thank you for joining me this afternoon on Radio Karen. Today we have the pleasure to welcome in our studio our second guest. It's my first interview via mobile. Okay, so I have the pleasure to introduce you to Aaron Williams, And Aaron lives in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, Upper Hunter. How are you today, Aaron?
1: Oh, really good. Thanks, Adriana, for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So I will introduce slightly uh, some of the great skills and qualifications that Aaron has. Aaron runs Beyond Dog Training. Uh, upper Hunter Valley, and she has over 35 years experience in dog training. Wow, that's an incredible amount of time, Erin. <laughs> she holds. way the
1: age of it, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, I can you imagine. Erin holds a Certificate for in Animal Behaviour and Training with the Delta Society Australia, and she has been a finalist for 2022 Sorry, in New South Wales ACT, the Rural Women's Award and a finalist as well for 2023, the Hunter Region Business Excellence Awards. Erin uh, runs puppy school at Singleton Veterinary Hospital, and she's currently undertaking the Aggression in Dogs Master Course. She has uh, previously been a committee member of the APDT, Association of Pet Dog Trainers Australia, And she's as well a professional member of PPGA, Pet Professional Guild Australia. Aaron has done a fantastic webinar about livestock guardian dogs for the PPGA, aiming at educating Australian dog trainers, vets, vet nurses, dog daycare staff, groomers and shelter staff. And dog owners and i uh, watched that one and i thought one of the best webinars i've ever seen in my life honestly aaron fantastic oh, wow. paws up to you so thank you, th- <laughs> so, no, thank you. <laughs> my <was> pleasure <laughs> so i was going to ask the first thing i'm very curious about how did you get started you know in dog training and talking about your dogs how did uh, the incredible journey you have had with them
1: Yes, it was a bit of a funny journey. I mean, like like my other dog trainers, um, we had the family dog, and I was the one who trained the dog and had the most interest. Uh, then I went to Hawkes VA College, and I was studying agriculture, mm-hmm. and I became very interesting in the in, interested in the working dogs, and I was fascinated by um, the instinctive skills that they had. That kind of led me on to um, working in the industry for a while in the rural industry. Then I shifted uh, for a short time into corporate environments, so mm-hmm. as an executive assistant, assisting CEOs and CFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that career ended, I decided to go back to the dogs uh, in a in a more full time way. Mm-hmm. And um, so that led me to establishing my own business, which was initially beyond dog training. So that's just your mainstream pet dogs, um, not not necessarily livestock guardian dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been quite successful here in the Upper Hunter. All of the local vets will recommend me, probably because I've got that high level qualification and experience. So sure. I'll get all of the aggression cases and the anxiety cases, yeah. and I'll work in conjunction with veterinary behaviourists mm-hmm. or behaviour vets. Um, and then after that, uh, the livestock guardian dogs came along. So yeah, it was a bit of a you know a bit here and a bit there, but um, I eventually came back to what was really my passion.
0: That's fantastic. And how were when you you're Fifi, how did Fifi enter your life?
1: Oh, Fifi. Um, so we moved to rural New South Wales from Sydney. We did the tree change and we had some chickens and we backed onto the railway line and I was a bit concerned that the foxes would get the chickens. <laughs> and I was a little bit bored with mainstream breeds. So I thought, oh, I know, I'll just get a livestock guardian dog, <laughs> just like everybody else when they get their first one. <laughs> do I my, did do my research, actually, <laughs> but I didn't expect the challenge that she would make. So we actually went to the breeder out in Bathurst, and we were there for four hours discussing Ooh. these dogs, oh and do- so she had a bitch who was um, about to well and, you know, we could have one of those pups, which I was mm-hmm. really excited about, and then as we were leaving, after four hours, she said, oh, I just need to let this dog out. Um, for a run. And and it was quite a scruffy looking livestock guardian dog. It was a Marama. And I said, oh, what's the story there? And she said, oh, she was on a working farm for four years and Mm. she ended up being abandoned. The farmer left the property and Mm. left her there. And so she came back to the breeder and she was, you know, trying to organize another home for her. And anyway, within I can guarantee you, 30 seconds it was all over, and we were going home with that dog.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And I was in tears because I watched the way that she was with my husband, who wasn't very comfortable around dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And these dogs can be very aloof, and certainly Mm. the dogs that the breeders, you know, was treating us in an aloof way, but she wasn't. She reminded me very much of a golden retriever, you know, the joyous, you know, friendly. And that was it, it was all over. I watched what she did right, with my husband and um, that was it. I turned to the breeder and said, oh, I think we found our dog.
0: Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> it was
1: a beautiful story. And yes. she was a beautiful dog.
0: And how was training her, the challenges that you faced from the start? Yes,
1: that was very interesting because apart from her breeder, I had nobody who understood these dogs. So what I found myself doing was because I'd, I had my Delta training and, you know, the basic Training in uh, behaviour, I started to watch her and started mm. to try and interpret what was going on, um, and then you know discussing with the breeder helped me to get a better better understanding, uh, and um, so anyway she just naturally had a. I'll tell you what happened. We went to um, Leichhardt in. Sydney, because, as you know, that's the centre for Italians, or that's where they supposedly live. And I said to my husband, oh, let's take her there and see who knows their own breed. Anyway, nobody knew what breed she was. <laughs> and the only one who did was a, a farmer, a cocky, as I called him in those days, who was going past and said, oh, that's a marama, isn't it? <laughs> and we laughed and we said, yes, it is. But anyway, we went to the piazza in Leichhardt, and it's a big open square and there's re- Italian restaurants around it. And we were standing there looking out over the piazza on the balcony, and all of a sudden I heard this noise, and it was a woman in a wheelchair mm. coming towards us. And she was being pushed by, I think it was her mother, mm. and she had bandages all over her, etc. And anyway, Fifi started pulling me towards this woman. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went with her, and then Fifi threw herself down at this woman's feet in the wheelchair. And the woman didn't have a lot of control of, over her arms and legs, and she was kind of pummeling Fifi, and Fifi did not move, and she wagged her tail the whole time. Aww,
0: so cute. And I
1: was like, right, that's it, I have to honour yes. what this dog oh. has. And and so very, very easily got her up to speed for the assessment mm-hmm. for the Delta therapy mm-hmm. dogs, and she became the first Delta therapy dog in the upper hunter.
0: What an incredible story, isn't it? Like, yeah, it she had beautiful. the natural talent. And, uh, she did. Isn't that yeah, interesting? It is, it is. I saw on that book, uh, I read the parts, uh, the dogs that make a difference. Uh, I have this book. Is so many yes. gorgeous stories. But we're going to down the track, talk a little bit about the, the Delta therapy dogs. But sure. yes, that's how we started, you know, for you. Um, and mm-hmm. then moving on, um, I'm very curious to ask you, how actually is your... Being a dog trainer in rural New South Wales because I've been very much mm. you know raised around the city suburbs, the burbs. So your is very different journey for you, I believe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it. it the demographic is very different, so your clientele is very different, uh, a vast range of income levels too. So I've got where I am, mm. we've got the miners who have a higher disposable income, and then you've got your typical rural um, demographic who don't have the same disposable incomes mm. as their city counterparts. So you have to be very careful with your fees, mm. uh, because yes. I don't want to preclude anybody from having access to Absolutely. my skills um, and my services. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the range of dogs. I remember when I was moving here and I was thinking, "Oh my god, they've got pig dogs out there! <laughs> what am I going to do? I don't know anything about them." Mm-hmm. And anyway, as it turns out, you know the people who've got pig dogs, they don't—they're not looking for my kind of services. No,
0: no not the type. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: so I dodged that bullet. But actually, full <laughs> Arabs are a beautiful mm. dog in their own family unit. They are just so docile. They love their families. You know, they're not a problem at all. So that was that was a real awakening. Mm. Um, and there's lots of travel. So oh, it's not that's unusual it. for mm. me to travel 100Ks, to 100Ks or
0: 150Ks to one client. Your poor car uh, will be clocking heaps of Ks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a, an old car and, oh, my God, it's going really well. I'm up to 300 odd thousand now, but wow. I love
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Still and going I strong. To,
1: and I started to fall in love with the travel because I didn't enjoy it at first, coming from the city, but now I absolutely love it because mm-hmm. it's my downtime and mm-hmm. it's the time I get to myself to listen to podcasts mm-hmm. or to listen to music while I'm traveling.
0: Oh, and then obviously you have to add to your fees, the traveling, you know, the charges on Yeah, top that, of and
1: that's difficult mm-hmm. because, I mean, people out here understand that because we've all got to travel long distances, but just have to be very careful that, you know, people aren't missing out because of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then mm. we're moving, um, talking about the working livestock guardian dogs. Um, could you describe a little bit which sort of breeds would they be? Because our podcast, you just uh, our target audience yes. is really pet owners. So just mm. describe a little bit so they understand more which type of dog breeds, you know, that it involves.
1: Yeah, so the particular breed group um, and the most common in Australia is your Maremma, which uh, originated in Italy. The other most popular one at the moment is the Anatolian or the Kangal, which originated from Turkey. And then you've got a few of the others scattered around. So you've got the Sarplaninak or the Yugoslavian shepherd dog from mm-hmm. the, uh, the Balkans. Um, you've also got um, Central Asian shepherds, uh, sometimes called Ovcharkas. They're from Central Asia and Russia. hmm mm. Uh, and they're mostly, there are a couple of Pyrenean, mm-hmm. Pyrenean mountain dogs around, but they don't do too well in extreme heat because they've got quite a dense double coat. So the Marima is the most popular.
0: Yeah, I actually went to Port Ferry for holidays last year, and I just had my Kelly for a, a daycare at Corroyd, and the lady actually bred the Pyrenees. Yeah, she had quite a few there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't encountered them before. But, uh, yeah, very thick coat, very bulky and very thick coat. Yeah, a big dog with (laughs) a thick coat. Yeah. Mm. So, and then um, the characteristics and the most common ones in Australia are the marimas.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Whereas in the US, the most common is the Pyrenean. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So, how do you find... um, When these dogs, like say, talk about the farms in in general, when the farmers themselves train these dogs to be flock guardian or would you be involved as well in the process when they encounter some difficulties or how does it come about to you?
1: Uh, do you mean how do they contact
0: me? Yeah, or? like uh, because some farmers already know how <laughs> to train these dogs to be flock guarding if they got sheep or chickens, or, you know, whatever might be. But then some, like the other day was a show on telly, a very old show, and I'll mention the name and that the Marema just f- thought was one of the sheep. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen like that before. So, um, so, troubleshooting what can happen? What can go wrong that the farmer can get stuck <laughs> while training them and they might need your help? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so there are lots of issues, and, and this is where I cut my teeth. I, I mm-hmm. learned most of my and got most of my experience in the U.S. scene where where Livestock Guardian dogs are used extensively, thousands and thousands and thousands of them yeah. everywhere, being used in rural situations and even just in hobby farms. Mm. I just want to go back to that point that you made about mm. um, you saw the dog in with the sheep, and that's the whole purpose. So these dogs actually live with the sheep 24 hours, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very good at tolerating extreme conditions, so particularly where there's snow, for example, in the US. These dogs love the snow. They'll love frost. They will choose to be outside rather than inside, um, and they can tolerate it quite easily. But they do live with the stock. Mm-hmm. So when you see the stock being moved, you'll see the dog moving with the with the sheep or whatever, if it's goats, and they'll either be at the front, the back, or the sides, or in the middle. So mm-hmm. that's what they do. And the, And the livestock actually accept them as one of them.
0: Right, perfect.
1: Um, and so some of the issues, and the, we got the same issues in the uh, the Facebook group that I was in. So I was headhunted by the admins of this Facebook group mm-hmm. because I had the training qualification, so I had um, uh, the understanding of learning theory, you know, behaviour, animal behaviour, mm-hmm. and I had some experience with the livestock Guardian Dogs. So those two things combined meant that our members were getting not just a practitioner's point of view, but they were also getting science-based education. And that's what I'm big about. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, because Mm. I'm trying to bring evidence and data to how we're utilising these dogs and how we're handling them. So we would get the same issues. The biggest Mm. issue is the barking. Mm. Um, and that can be in a suburban environment or even in a rural environment environment where you've got mm-hmm. your neighbours are very close. Wow. And, you know, dogs barking, it travels through valleys, mm-hmm. it can travel up hills, etc. Yes. Um, so the barking is the biggest issue, aggression, mm-hmm. because these dogs, these dogs can go from nothing to a bite very quickly. They don't tend to give a lot of body language or warning mm-hmm. like your normal dogs do. They can in some situations, but in, in most situations, they'll just take it upon themselves to act because they're independent thinking dogs. Mm-hmm. That's what we want them to do when yeah. they're with the sheep. And if there's a predator uh, about to harm the sheep, then we want these dogs to think about what, what needs to happen. And they do. Mm-hmm. They don't need us to tell them how to respond. Um, so, yeah, lots of barking. The other thing is escaping. These dogs will get out if they can get out, and that's the same for any dog, whether Mm -hmm. it's a livestock guardian dog or a pet. Mm -hmm. They get out because they can get out, and that can be because they're bored. They can hear something outside, so they want to go and investigate it. Mm -hmm. Um, Livestock guardian dogs are very good at climbing fences, digging under fences, and jumping over them. And some of the the,
0: yeah, some of the rural fences can be quite open as well, like you know, farm farm style, yeah. (laughs)
1: One of the things that a practitioner has to accept is that he has to reinforce his fencing if it's not adequate. If he doesn't, it won't work because what these dogs do is they will actually increase their boundary. So they'll mm-hmm. penetrate the boundary fence because they want to lay their scent and warn off predators beyond. The fence, You know, it's a bit like yes. if you're in a castle and you're protecting yourself, you'd send out scouts mm-hmm. so that you knew what was happening out there in the forest. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what these dogs do. So they'll jump the fence to go and lay their scent and then they'll come back.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> but people mistake it yes. for escaping um, <laughs> yeah. to do malicious things.
0: Erin, mm. uh, we will have to go for a very short break and we're going to be back very shortly on Radio Karen. Okay?
1: just a Sure. Pet. Thank you. Hi, my name is Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC. And when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karen. Tune in and enjoy.
0: Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Zoomies, your dog podcast on Radio Karen And I'm Adriana Milne. We are continuing our lovely chat with Aaron Williams. Aaron, so what would you like to chat next about your lovely dogs.
1: <laughs> um, I think we, you were interested in raising the subject about these livestock guardian dogs yes. in suburbia.
0: Yes, very much I, so. That, the challenges mm-hmm. that the people, you know, the, the regular pet owner, when they come to the city, live in the city, would they be suitable for this sort environment?
1: Yes, well, <sighs> that's a big topic. <laughs> um, and look. They're not designed to live in cities, Um, and unfortunately, you know, people who have them in apartments or in townhouses, if they don't understand dogs, if they don't make the effort to understand these dogs and to meet their needs in other ways, it can go downhill. So the things that they're going to encounter is the barking. So if they're at work, these dogs are going to be barking at any stimulus in the environment. We've got this joke about, oh, you know, the livestock guardian dog that barks at the leaf that fell off the tree two (laughs) blocks away. (laughs) Um, And because they're very perceptive, they're very switched on to the environment, they're constantly air scenting. Um, so anything will trigger the barking. So the bark, the purpose of the barking is simply to tell a predator that it, that the dog is there and to tell the predator to move away. Mm-hmm. And generally that's effective enough. Um, so at night, if you're in the city, you will have to bring the dogs in to sleep inside because that's the only way to manage that barking.
0: And what about visitors? Like people at home and then if the dog mm-hmm. is in the garden and your visitor can't be even let through the gate <laughs> because they're going to be let in yeah. by the dog.
1: <laughs> That's right. It's not a situation where you can let anybody come in the yard without you being there. You must introduce visitors to your dog uh, in your presence Mm -hmm. because... They will take it upon themselves to deal with anybody who's trespassing in mm-hmm. their in their view. But in actual fact, you know, it's a visitor who might be coming to read the meter. <laughs> yes, posty. <laughs> but that's, that's right. But that's their job. Their job is to protect and guard. Um, and they are independent thinking dogs, unlike mm-hmm. your border collie or your kelpie or yeah. your cattle dog, who wants to work with a shepherd, who wants the shepherd to give them direction. Mm-hmm. Go here, go there, go and get that mob, bring it here. You know, push them up, etc. Whereas livestock guardian dogs, they don't, they don't need you there. Yeah. They're going to make the decisions themselves. That's why we can, when they're, when they're up to speed and they can, you know, and that's generally around two to four years of age, mm-hmm. they can be left on their own with the livestock and they will make the decisions that are required. However, you know, they do like to have backup, so the shepherd is sometimes their backup. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if they're a bit nervous, if they're a juvenile, they'll do a lot of barking because they're nervous. They Mm. know, being out there with the sheep, that they are prey themselves because they're not big enough and not strong enough and not experienced enough to deal with large predators.
0: Well, I own my early days when I did a lot of pet sitting I remember going to Frankston area and there was Anatolian and it was an elderly mm. couple and I have to tell you, that was one of the most miserable dogs that I've ever seen because he was so mm. sad. He used to go up and down the fence looking for a job to do and there was nothing for him mm. to do. He was very sad There was a situation that he should not yeah. have been put in, in life but it happens.
1: That's right and, and that can be the issue. I mean just getting guinea pigs or getting rabbits as mm-hmm. pets, or a cat, or another dog. I mean, these dogs, you know, that can be enough for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if they don't have an uh, another pet to bond to in a mm-hmm. suburban situation, they will bond to the people. Mm-hmm. So they will be very concerned about those people leaving home without them. When you go for a walk, they'll be a little bit more reactive because they're trying to protect their person. Mm-hmm. So that it's not ideal you know, it doesn't always work. You certainly can't take these dogs to a dog park. You know, you can get away with it for a while, but something's going to happen. Somebody's going to, you know, do something that they think isn't right and they'll react. So you just have to be very careful. You have to know what you're doing.
0: And mixing with other dogs in a park, um, I don't know how would that go with a breed like this. It can
1: work. It can work for puppies and juveniles. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're obviously not taking puppies before the end of their vaccination, but Puppies and juveniles are still learning about the world and they're still socializing, so it's a good opportunity to socialize them. But once they start getting into, um, so the start of their maturity around 12 months, you know, it, it tends to not work as well because the hormones are circulating. They get mm-hmm. becoming territorial. They're becoming more concerned about their owners or other dogs in the family, so they're going to be keeping an eye on them. So that guarding is starting to kick in, the mm-hmm. instinctive guarding. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. So, and moving on to working dogs, Uh, which kind of uh, experience have you had with working dogs in the area where you are, Upper Hunter Valley? Um,
1: So, generally, I get, generally, I've had um, a lot of hobby farmers approach me. um, And a lot of those hobby farmers haven't done any research. They've gone out and got the dog and they're in a crisis situation. So, and I do my best to help these people because I want that dog to stay in the home. The more of these livestock guardian dogs that we can keep in the home, the better. Uh, otherwise they're going to end up on the rehoming circuit and they mm-hmm. do because they, they're they going to people who haven't done their research, don't know what they're in for. So, and a lot of these hobby farmers, as I've said, are very close to the neighbours. So they've got barking issues. They've got these dogs jumping their fences. Mm-hmm. So they haven't even looked at their fencing yet. So, I see. My job as going in there, uh, helping them to understand the things that they need to put in place, how the, how they can best manage these dogs, the training that they're going to need around their chickens, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to empower the owners with the knowledge that you know they haven't got yet. Mm-hmm. So when when you're moving into then the biggest larger situations of working, you know you could have a, several of these dogs working. A lot of those people tend to stick together with the breed groups. You know, they're getting a lot of the information from the breeder and there's a lot of fallacy out there about handling these dogs and training them. For example, the biggest one is just throw the puppy in with the sheep and walk away. Mm. The problem with that is the puppy knows that it's prey so it's going to be very scared. The puppy has the instinct but it doesn't have the right support for that instinct to come out. So we need to create an environment where that uh, instinct can come forth. The other thing is um, the sheep or the goats will bully a puppy as well. So your puppy can start to lose its confidence Mm. at an early age and you you may or may not get that back. Mm -hmm. So in in the original model where these dogs worked, it was called transhumans. And that's where the shepherd moved with the livestock through National Park grazing. So over there, they're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. They actually slept out with their livestock and with their dogs because over there, they've got wolves and bears. um, They've got quite large predators. So what they do over there is the puppies will stay in the camp or the village and be raised until they're juveniles, and then the juveniles will go out with the dogs, the older, mature adult dogs, and those older dogs will train the juveniles, as well as the shepherds. Shepherds there as well helping. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in our Western style of agriculture, which is typical in the USA and Australia, if you don't have an older dog, to help that juvenile to understand its job then you have to do it yes Yes. you have to physically Mm -hmm. go in and help that dog to understand its role and that could simply be putting the livestock guardian dog on a lead going in amongst the sheep and being very calm rewarding your dog for being calm and so the dog is picking up, oh, okay, so you want me to do this. Oh, this is what I'm meant to do. Instead of leaving the dog in there and chasing mm. the livestock, mm-hmm. uh, chickens, lambs. You know, chickens are the hardest because they move fast, they mm. flap a lot, Flapper. they squawk a lot.
0: <laughs> and so, you know, that yeah.
1: a tiny little bit of prey drive can kick in. And, and the fun they of haven't chasing.
0: been taught what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So the farmer has to take on that role. And this is what's missing. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that they have to take on this role. So I get calls, you know I've got these two juveniles out in the paddock, and they're barking all the time. you know there's nothing mm-hmm. there. And well, one, you know we can't say there's nothing there because remember, these dogs are much more perceptive than mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. but also, um, so I had a, a client like that, and I said, "So can you bring the sheep closer to the house at night?" And she said, yes, so that's what she did, And she didn't have any more barking mm-hmm. because they were two juveniles who weren't okay. entirely confident yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow.
1: And so, some of the solutions are very simple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, go ahead,
0: Adriana. No, 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 carry on. Uh, I was, because um, uh, we got a certain amount of time. Yeah, uh, mm. I agree with all that. So, I can't see these dogs succeeding in city life because the amount of rescue organizations that are trying to place these dogs that already fail some households. Uh, yeah. So, they, a, fail, yeah. they fail, Adriana,
1: because yeah. people aren't informed. Of course. So, a lot of there are some some people who are successful having them in suburban but mm-hmm. those people are, inform themselves and they make the effort to understand the needs of the dog before they get it you know we've got this mm-hmm. same thing happening that we used to have with border collies everybody falls in love with a cute little oh, border collie it's like a little teddy
0: bear they look gorgeous yep. especially as a and got, <laughs> mm, agree. And
1: so we have the same <laughs> thing with Maremmas. they go and see the cute white fluffy dog and they take it home thinking it's going to be a Pomeranian size So (laughs) not only is it very much bigger, in fact, it's turned a large to, extra large to a giant breed, but you've got shedding, you've got barking, you've got biting, you've got resource guarding, which is another thing that these dogs are very good at. Mm, And that's how they end up on the rehoming circuit.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I was going to go next, uh, talking, have you got... um, in your area, farmers with the need a hand with kelpies and border collies. So we've got a lot to do training these breeds as well. Where you live?
1: Yeah, I don't get into the herding side of Not it. The herding, I, I, okay. I did that quite a, quite a long time ago. Um, and there are some positive trainers around. I think there's a lady. Um, further down the valley in the Lower Hunter, who does mm-hmm. positive training?
0: Okay.
1: Um, and so, thankfully, that whole field now—the science-based education—is starting to permeate, but it's a long way off.
0: Yeah, because we've got a lot of them where I am here in mm. Paterson Lakes. Yeah, we so do too.
1: Many. And but I don't—I don't, I don't yeah. tend to do the working ones. Uh, I certainly got plenty of clients with them in the backyard, and they're destroying their backyards.
0: That's <laughs> it. But you, you like—it's incredible, almost. And that's when one of the questions that I wanted to ask if when the Oddball and, uh, you know, the Red Dog, uh, the movies came, I noticed in my puppet class at the time, much more people mm-hmm. went in, you know, impulse buying and cute in the movie. But look at the environment that the dog was living, you know, the surroundings of the dog wasn't this kind of burbs where we are here and everybody went and got it so and then Mm -hmm. what do they do they work all day and little kids and then you got these dogs nipping at the heels and the kids running just being children in the backyard and -hmm. like one scenario that I had last year was that the dog was nipping was a juvenile kelp nipping so much the kids heels that the father had to lift the child to bring it back inside the house you know Mm. because the dog wouldn't let it go so Mm. and that's your average family they (laughs) That is uh, dramatic, (laughs) in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and so that's another dog, you know. Yes, it's different. That is different
0: Yeah, the herding breed.
1: Well, and they require a different approach as well. So very much managing those dogs entails reducing the... No dogs in a high state of arousal. We know they're not thinking, so they're just going to trip into the instinctive side of their nature. Whereas if we can keep the, a cap on the arousal level and redirect that behaviour onto something uh, that's that's rewarding for the dog, and where the children can interact with the dog, then it can work. So, for example, when I have children involved in training, you know, in the family. I teach the children how to play tug safely with the dog. Mm-hmm. I teach the parents how to monitor the arousal level, when to intervene, when to when to um, move the dog away or finish the game, and it's all dependent on the arousal levels, and that can be for the kids as well. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, but then the parents look at you and say, "But they're just being children."
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's part of the education, and yes, you know. You can you can teach kids how to play safely with dogs, um, yeah, but a lot of the time too you're relying on parent parental supervision yes, because yes. as we know kids can't can't really determine you know or read a dog's body language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very much a family affair. And look, that thing with Oddball, I yes, remember yes. when the movie was coming out, and I was saying to the breeders. This is not good. And no. they, were, they were all going, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, all these people are going to understand mm. our breed. And I said, ah, no. ah, ah no. you know what happened with Lassie. You know yeah, what yeah. happened with the Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. We are going to have a proliferation of these dogs uh, being bred in backyards and on Gumtree. And it's exactly what happened. So and that's the problem they're... we have now because a good breeder will – cull for things like bad temperament or physical bad physical confirmation, Mm -hmm. but your backyard breeders aren't. So we have a lot of these dogs out there with anxiety issues, with hip dysplasia, elbow Mm -hmm. dysplasia, confirmation issues, because they were bred in the backyard. Uh, People who were trying to make a quick buck.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: Um, I'm not talking about working dogs either. There are some good working dog lines that aren't members of, you know, the ANKC or whatever
0: who do have really good dogs as well. Mm-hmm. Aaron, we will need to have a very short break and uh, sure. we will be coming back in a short while with our continued podcast and this lovely interview, okay? You're listening yes. to Radio Karen. Hi,
1: I'm Dr. Floyd Gomes, uh, a.k.a. Atticus Health with Dr. Floyd, you might recall, and it's great to be here at Radio
0: Karen. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Zoomies, your doggy podcast on Radio Karen, and we will be continuing our lovely interview with Aaron Williams from Beyond Dog Training. Aaron, what would you like to chat with us now? Would you like to share with us? Um, I
1: think, you know, maybe some recommendations. So if anybody is tempted to, um, you know, go down the track of having a livestock guardian dog, most likely it'll be a Maremma. Um, then what's important and what we do tell everybody in our Facebook groups is to do your research. So you want to think about is this dog and the dog, the needs of this dog going to suit your lifestyle and your skill set? What's your skill set with normal mainstream pet dogs, if it's good, then you might be able to make that transition to handling a livestock guardian dog as well. They're they're not really recommended for novices because novices are the ones who struggle the most with them because they're not just dealing with their first normal dog, they're dealing with their first livestock guardian dog, which Mm -hmm. is like 20 steps on from a mainstream breed. Mm -hmm. So um, there are recommendations. Also to think about your expectations. So some of the hobby farmers, you know, they buy their hobby farm uh, and they have this picture of, of their utopia mm-hmm. and how it's all going to work. So they go and get the dog. And what happens generally when I get called in is that dog's already escaping because it can because of the fencing. Um, they've loaded that dog with chickens and alpacas and goats and sheep all in all in one go. They can't understand why the dog's not working. They might have got a rescue, mm-hmm. and perhaps that rescue's never had that experience of a working situation. Yeah. So there are lots of things that can go wrong because we don't do our homework. So it's really, really important with these dogs. The people who are the most successful are the ones who go into it knowing what they're doing and mm-hmm. understanding particularly these dogs.
0: Can I ask a curiosity? Uh, um a well-trained uh, marima, for example, uh, how much would that cost, roughly? You know,
1: I'm not sure. No, they, okay. are, they are in the thousands. Yes, um, okay. Certain, <laughs> certainly, you know, your cheaper ones are going to be the ones on Gumtree, but yeah. some of those people were charging a lot during COVID, you yeah. know, to make a quick buck. Um, and then, of course, then there's your rescues, which are, you know, definitely below a thousand anyway yeah
0: i was thinking for the farms because i remember i adjusted my two horses in piercedale and uh, he was a farmer he had many different animals but the sheep was and the chicken was in trouble because the foxes used to get to them and Mm. i always said please do get a marima but no Mm. he was just having other breeds and rottweilers no they're not going to do the job (laughs) so anyway yeah yeah, he lost so much and so many animals Uh, was a pity yeah
1: look I remember when oh it was a few years ago a local farmer here he estimated he lost 50 odd thousand dollars worth of livestock Ooh. to predation and you know here we've got a government who's focused on baiting 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 mm. uh, who who's not looking at a strategy that's not only non-lethal but it's predator friendly and there's a lot of evidence coming out about the dingo being a native species mm-hmm. um But, you know, of course, the government can't recognise that because that means they can't bait. (laughs) So, you know, they look upon my strategy as, you know, it's not supportive of their strategy. Um, And it's sad because this strategy is 100 percent successful in those countries where it's implemented Mm -hmm. correctly. So in Europe. Mm-hmm. It is the go-to strategy because mm-hmm. it works so well. And anything like trapping, baiting and shooting, that has a mine, minor role in uh, livestock production in those countries. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's yeah. the proof.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they're yeah. even
1: using it in Africa
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: because uh, they're trying to help villagers not to want to kill the local wildlife, yeah. you know, your lions, your tigers, even your elephants. And then they're using these dogs to keep those animals away. And the same in South America, they're using them as well where in conservation. They,
0: where do they use in South America? Because so, I'm Brazilian, I'll be curious to research a bit more about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. Ha- I'll have to look it up yeah, for you. That's but that's okay. um, yeah, yeah, it's quite popular over there because I mean, there's a lot of um, livestock production over there yeah, too, isn't there? Nice. But they are being used. They are being used extensively in conservation because that's what they bring. Mm-hmm. They bring an acceptable alternative. Yes. Yes. to eradication, don't
0: they? Very, very good point. And in Africa, it would be incredible, can you imagine, on close to <laughs> the feral animals, and they can protect cattle, for example, in farms, and when you think about it, you never I thought a marine will be used in those circumstances. But, yeah, gee. Um, I was going to ask you now if it's okay for you to chat a bit about the Delta therapy work that you have yeah, been sure. involved
1: uh, yes, yeah, so um, that was that was a really interesting uh, experience. The dogs were certainly fantastic at it. So I had another little dog, a uh, Kelpie cross Border Collie uh, Kelpie cross uh, Fox Terrier. He was gorgeous, and the two of them took it in turns to come with me to the local aged care facility, mm-hmm. and we would just walk through and say hello to everybody, and they would pat the dogs and. Some people would have their treats or save their biscuits for, from afternoon tea to give to the toys. <laughs> oh so cute <laughs> So I had to manage Fifi's oh, weight. Put a because lot of weight. taking the biscuits <laughs> from everybody. <laughs> and they were slipping, chubby, biscuits chubby little me It was beautiful. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was really lovely. So when that that book was actually created, when Penguin approached Delta to do Dogs That Make a Difference Mm -hmm. and Fifi's story was accepted as one of the stories there, we did the book launch at the aged care facility. It was fantastic. They they turned it into a big event and, you know, everybody bought a book and Fifi actually signed it. She signed it (laughs) appropriately. (laughs) I had a paw print made um, and I had a stamp made up so it would be With Love from Fifi
0: with her paw stamp Adorable (laughs) For the elderly people can imagine the immense joy that they would have felt to have been part of it and shared this sort of so important occasion
1: she really, she really made a difference to them in that
0: environment. So it's really
1: lovely.
0: And a lot of these elderly people, you know, because I had my mum on a, at the end, you know, before she passed, and I used to go there regularly. Some their lives are very limited. They their outings as mm-hmm. they age and got some conditions, physical disabilities, and the joy to have a visiting dog like is the highlights for some of the week. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And and I know that myself now because my dad's in there Mm -hmm. and um, I just wish I had still had one that I could bring in for him because he loves dogs. Yeah. Yeah. We had to be careful, um, you know, when we were cutting their nails. We Mm -hmm. weren't allowed to go in for a few days after we'd cut their nails because when you cut a dog's nails, you fracture the, the, you know, the lining, the outside Mm -hmm. lining of the nail and that can tear elderly skin very easily. Mm -hmm. So we had very thorough training. We were assessed every 12 months and we were covered by insurance. So Delta Therapy did it really well and we had backup and support. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. That is very good. So, you, what, and now the thing was your deaf Labrador, has he ever been, so he was never involved in therapy work? That was another situation. No, yeah. Yeah. no, he, he
1: wasn't suitable for that because
0: he was deaf. He had
1: generalized anxiety, had yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder, wow. so he was a spinner. Wow. And yeah, he had lots going on for him. So, you know, any kind of change in his environment could have been stressful for him. And it wouldn't be, you know, if, if something startled him in, perhaps an aged Mm -hmm. care facility and that happened to my dog once you want to make sure that that dog's stable and doesn't respond in you know an inappropriate way so i remember with roberto which was the little fox terrier cross kelpie one of the staff had some of that bubble wrap and she popped mm, mm. She popped it beside Roberto and he jumped. Mm. But he didn't do anything else. And okay. so I said to her, look, please be careful around the dogs because that can set them off. Mm-hmm. You know, they could just snap accidentally because they're scared.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, elderly people, a lot of things, uh, you know, can fall. <laughs> and obviously they need to have a recovery, mm-hmm. a very quick recovery from events like this. Yes. Dogs.
1: So we were very conscious of things on the ground. Um, yeah, the, so the dogs, you know, we didn't encourage the dogs to uh, take anything up off the ground, food, etc.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and could you talk a little bit more about the, your Labrador? Because being deaf and suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder would have been uh, quite a challenge for you. Yeah.
1: It was. And it was, you know, I was so grateful because he took me to the next level as a trainer. Mm-hmm. You don't, you, you know, these difficult dogs are gifts. Mm -hmm. because they extend our skill set, our understanding. You know, we have to push ourselves to try to understand them and give them what they need. And uh, that was a dog that wouldn't let you touch him. Mm -hmm. So when he first came to me, he was so used to not being touched because he had been isolated as a puppy Mm -hmm. because he was different. You know, I said to um, to them, why is he at the back of the group? I said, I don't know, he's just different. But, you know, it was obvious later on that that's what was the problem. He was deaf. Anyway, he wouldn't let me touch him. And that went on for a long, long time. Um, and we, in conjunction with the vet behaviours to address the spinning and the anxiety, he was on a medication called NDEP. Mm-hmm. And that did sufficient um, work. It, ch- it changed the way that he was. He was able to relax a bit more. And I'll never forget the first day he brushed past me. <laughs> and he actually touched my leg and um, I reached out with my hand and I just let my hand held my hand out so that he could run past my hand and mm-hmm. touch it it was beautiful mm. and that was it from then on he he just thrived after that
0: mm. And there, it was ob- a
1: lovely experience
0: yes I can just imagine and about his obsessive compulsive behavior is it what actually triggers that
1: Um not sure if it was in the breeding but it was possibly yes. the fact that Uh, Nobody noticed that he was deaf. Uh, He also had a massive ear mite infestation in both ears when he came to me and I was the first one to diagnose the deafness, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. by that stage, he was nearly six months of age. So Mm -hmm. he was trying to cope with the world Mm -hmm. with no support, with all of those disabilities. And, you know, I think it just tripped him over the edge. Yes. I can't say that. It could have been genetic, but I don't think so because... There was no other uh, litter mate that we knew of mm-hmm. uh, the same as him, but we did find another deaf dog from that breeder. Oh, so um, you have be. to be very careful.
0: Yeah, mm. it, yeah ideally you wouldn't want, you know, if it's new from a beach or the side to continue breeding yep. because of genetically yep. passing yep. on. But yeah. Good breeder will cull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and what happened in the end? Like, are you still got this particular dog
1: now? No. Um, no. He died in all oh, about four years ago. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: No. Yeah, he was
1: beautiful, and I'm so grateful for what he gave me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it just gave me confidence too. Like as a trainer, you know, we're always questioning ourselves, you know, have we done this right, have we done that right? I'm always reviewing mm-hmm. my sessions with my people and <laughs> not only about the dogs but also the people, you know. The people. Have I considered <laughs> yes. it from their point of view, yeah. not only the dog's point of view?
0: Yeah, and talking on this topic, I was going to ask you something about um, when you do private visits and you find that, You might have one or two family members that are very keen to take on board 100% or almost 100% or what you suggest and, you know, teach them. But you might have one person just not into, not interested, you know, think the dog is good enough as it is. So how do you approach that?
1: Um, So generally you'll find in families that there's one person, at least one person who's interested and dedicated to the dog. After all, you know. Why do they call you? Because somebody had enough motivation to do it and interest. Um, Generally, I find that when I go to families, it's a family affair. I've been Mm -hmm. quite shocked. So, you know, the parents get the kids out as well, and I don't expect them to stay there, and I do give them an out if they want to. I say, look, you know, I don't expect you to stay for the – Full hour or two hours sometimes with my consults. <laughs> I can't help myself. I just can't go. I just um, hope
0: you charge for amount yeah. you're putting in. Oh, look, this, is, this is my passion. I, don't, you know, just
1: I know my. Come home, my husband says, "Did you get paid for that one?" Says, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> but it's my passion, and you know, I want to see my community thrive. I want them to have access to good, sound uh, dog training. Mm-hmm. services so you know I'm I'm all there I'm totally committed when I go and each of their sessions so it's about empowering them for me mm-hmm. but I find you know that usually the family just gets involved mm-hmm. I do have a lot of handouts I do a, an audiovisual session that's one of the sessions Beautiful. we look at dog body language I show them really good videos mm-hmm. really good videos for kids and dogs keeping them safe and um, yeah I just find I just find that they're really they commit to it
0: yeah, and I saw on your website there was the canine cup- cupids. They cupids? <laughs> were the oh, program, yes. the one. So, how does that go? Matching dogs uh, for the families, that would be the ideal world all day. <laughs> yes.
1: Believe it or not, I've only ever had one client. Oh who took up that package Mm -hmm. and that was about helping a family to choose what would be the most appropriate breed for them. So Mm -hmm. they might have, uh, you know, 10 10 dogs that they're interested Mm -hmm. in and then we would narrow it down. We talk about their lifestyle, we talk about the dog's needs, is it going to match, etc. But anyway, I had this one client and we ended up, she knew what she wanted, she wanted Cavalier and I thought, yes, the Cavalier is absolutely perfect for her Mm -hmm. family. I spoke to a number of breeders, got a recommendation, We and we actually went together. So it was about a three-hour drive away, and we we spent the day together um, because I wanted to help her choose the right puppy out of a litter. Beautiful. Anyway, that person is now my best friend.
0: Wow. That is <laughs> that incredible. incredible.
1: And she's, still got the, she's still got the beautiful Cavalier, Holly. Uh,
0: they are gorgeous. I, I am very fond of Cavaliers, I have to say. I am. But
1: that's But that's a useful package that all trainers could offer, you know, because... Mm-hmm you know just because we you know have you ever heard anybody say i'm just going to look at this puppy mm. and not come home with it
0: yeah ah, <laughs> oh, it will be hard it will be hard
1: and whereas you know what what, what is probably um, a more realistic way to do it is to think about what kind of dog's going to suit your lifestyle yes that's apart from
0: the one that looks the cutest yeah they go for the cutest and then they go impulse and not the rational they don't spend the rational level you know thinking it yeah. through and even asking the family at home if they are up to it as well because otherwise you're just almost imposing something just because we want it so we're sharing a home
1: you do do find that um, you know that it's the kids who want the puppy and who turns up at the puppy classes um, it's the mothers (laughs) And good on them, you know, the poor old mums. The poor old mums.
0: Oh, my God. Sometimes with three kids and a puppy. I'm not a mum. I'll never be because of my age. But I'll tell you, I couldn't think myself having two, three children still having a puppy. I couldn't (gasps) handle go a bit (gasps) ballistic. I know.
1: It's really common. (laughs) Yes, it is. You know, Families have one or two babies and then they get the puppy and they've got three babies.
0: Yeah, because Um, they they wanted to grow together. I think that's a lot of the times what they say. They want everybody to just grow together.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and, you know, people have this image about having the dog to grow up with the kids. And that's lovely, you know, and and hopefully it works. You know what's really funny in puppy classes is by about the second or the third class and the, the owners go oh, this is about us, isn't it? It's not really about the puppies.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, by then, start hitting them. Yeah. Very
1: cool. <laughs> and it's like, yes, you're right, yeah. but if I told you that at the beginning, you wouldn't have come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm so
0: laughs> grief, I agree with you, Scott. I love it. Yeah. Aaron, unfortunately, I'm going to have to start wrapping it up. God, we can talk yeah, for hours, sure. you know? Like, it's been such a joy and a pleasure to have you here. And um, yeah. so, f- you, you find... Erin uh, Beyond Dog Training, her website www.beyonddogtraining.com.au. And, uh, and uh, that's then you can
1: only for the mainstream breed. The mainstream, uh, yes. Uh, uh, um, the other one is okay. Livestock Guardian Dogs Australia. And that's mm-hmm. specifically for livestock guardian dogs. Yeah, and so I've got the two.
0: Okay, and about the f- a couple of Facebook pages that you like to share oh, that you think people might find just, some green information. Yeah, just
1: <clears throat> my Facebook page is that livestock guardian dogs Australia
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Beyond Dog Training. If anybody's interested. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Wow. So we've reached the end of our shows, and thank you for listening to our podcast Zoomies today. <laughs> and our <laughs> next show we will have another guest interview, okay? So a few surprises coming up. And I wish you have a top weekend with your dogs and please do take them out and about, you know, adventures. Take them out and with the family, enjoy the great outdoors of Australia. And see you next time, guys. And bye! Oi, 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 oi. IGA, oi. it's shopping oi. nights oi. IGA, oi. where the price oi. is right. Oi. Seaford oi. North, IGA, oi. for your groceries and liquor. Oi. IGA oi. Express, oi. there's nothing oi. quicker.